Welcome to the Redeemer Church Sermon Podcast. We hope that you are blessed as you join us in walking through the Word of God together. To learn more about our ministry in St. Albans, Vermont, please visit RedeemerChurchBT.com. I'm going to be reading from Colossians 2, 1 through 5. Um, When I'm done, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you can respond by saying, thanks be to God. So this is Colossians 2, 1 through 5. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom we are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Well, I, of course, am so happy and so thankful that I can be here again with you all this morning as we dive into God's Word together. That's one of the most important things that we could possibly do is gather together and hear God's Word uh, preach and exhort it and to to lift each other up. And we'll see kind of as we go throughout this sermon the, the true importance of that. Uh, Now, one of the wonderful things that the Lord has actually allowed me to do in this life is to actually get to know some godly pastors from around the world. Uh, We are especially, my wife and I, are especially connected with uh, church planners in Ireland. Some, uh, Some dear friends of ours named the Waltons and the Swains. And I believe I can speak for not just my wife and I, but also for the Waltons and the Swains uh, when I say that we, we deeply love each other and we care about each other's ministries and churches. You know, I have a desire to see the people in the congregation in Ireland grow in faith just as I have a desire to see all of you grow in your faith, even though I haven't seen those missionaries or I haven't even really met any of the people in their congregation at all. And I think the same could be said of them. Even though they haven't seen us for years, even though they haven't met any of you guys, I know that they care about you. And that they pray for you and desire to see you grow in your walk with Christ. Now I say all of this because when Paul was writing the letters, or this particular letter to the Colossian church, you actually need to know that he never met a single one of them. He never met anybody in the Colossian church apart from Epaphras, the church planner who started. And yet the love that Paul had for this church ran deep. And for Paul, the church in Colossae was not just some point on a map, but it was a body of believers that he was emotionally and spiritually invested in. Now if you remember, Paul thus far has put before the church a proper understanding of Jesus, that he came down as fully man and fully God, and then he reconciled to himself all things on the cross, and then Paul, in the remainder of chapter 1, kind of uses that time to explain to us his ministry to the church and the ministry that we are to have to one another. And now, in chapter 2, in our passage today, Paul lays out his prayer 
for this church. And not only this church, but also the church in a place called Laodicea. But before we take a look at this prayer from Paul, let us first pray ourselves. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for just the wonderful opportunity that we have to be back together again. Lord, I pray that you don't let us forget the privilege that we have of gathering in safety to proclaim your name and to sing praises to you. Uh, and so, Father, I pray, Lord, that, that, God, that you protect us from error this morning, uh, that we don't bring our own preconceived notions into your word, but that we allow your spirit to illuminate it for us. And I pray, God, that we can, Lord, just be blessed by you this morning and be encouraged by you this morning. And be encouraged by one another. And I pray this in your sense. Holy and precious name. Amen. All right. Well, let us begin by taking a look at verses 1, or verse 1, of chapter 2 of the book of Colossians. In verse 1, Paul says this. He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. Now, let's pause here just for one second. Paul is telling the Colossians of his great struggle for them. And not just them, but again, also the church in Laodicea that he mentions here, which is just a, kind of just a few miles down the road. It's not far from Colossae at all. Now, last week, when Paul was telling the Colossian church of his struggle and toil, he was speaking of the difficulties that come with being in Christian ministry. That, that was what he was talking about with his struggles and toils. But the struggle Paul is speaking of here in this verse has a, a bit of a different connotation to it, a big, bit of a different meaning to it. And actually, a better translation of this, that I believe is used in the NIV, is, now I want you to know how greatly I have contended for you. I have contended for you. And so what Paul is referring to here is his intercessory prayer on their behalf. His intercessory prayer on their behalf. An intercessory simply meaning on behalf of or for someone else. So his, his contending for them in prayer on their behalf. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul is telling this church that he is praying fervently for them. Now this is an interesting way to describe his praying on their behalf, isn't it? Struggling or contending? It sounds like Paul is exerting this great effort as he goes before God to pray for them. And I believe that he is saying it this way because, because he is. He is exerting great effort in his prayer for them. You see, Ephesians 6.12 tells us something really important about this life. Ephesians 6.12 tells us that we are currently, right now, in a spiritual war. There's a spiritual war going on. Believers are in a battle every day, whether they believe it or not. But not against enemies that can be seen in the flesh. Not against the person that is holding a grudge against you or, or your boss at work or, or even foreign nations. That's not truly the, the real consequential battle that we are in right now. Rather, Paul, in the book of Ephesians, makes it clear to us that our greatest battle actually happens not in the realm of flesh and blood, but in the spiritual realm. 
There is an unseen battle that the enemy, that Satan, is waging against you and waging against God's church. And his aim is disunity and destruction. That's what, that's what the enemy wants. And the enemy seeks to accomplish this through spiritual attacks, either, either by his demons or, or by even using false teachers that try to entice us away from the truth of the gospel. And so knowing this, Paul fights for these churches. He fights for them. And if you remember, he's never even met these people before. He's never met these Christians before, and he is contending for them in prayer. He is pleading to God on their behalf. And here, my brothers and sisters, is where we, we must learn from the Apostle Paul. Because prayer for a modern Christian is one of the most difficult of godly disciplines. I'm speaking for myself. I think we can all agree with that. I believe we would all admit that our prayer lives could, could use a little bit of work. And if you don't feel that way, then I either need to talk to you and get some pointers from you after the service, or maybe you're kind of you're denying something that is kind of staring you straight in the face. And we have a plethora of distractions that try to pull our minds away from prayer. We've got these renegade thoughts that kind of just come barreling through our minds when we are trying to speak to God. That happened to me the other day. I was praying to God, and I was looking down. I have struggled praying with my eyes closed. My eyes are usually open when I pray. And there's a stain on my pants, and I was like, Lord, please help me with... When did that stain get there? That's exactly how it happened. It was unbelievable. These thoughts just come barreling into our minds, whether we want them there or not, and distract us from our prayer. And we have an enemy as well that is trying to distract us, to keep us from entering into that throne room of grace. Not only that, but to be brutally honest, we can simply be lazy. We can simply be lazy in our prayer life. It can take time and great effort to cultivate a prosperous prayer life. It requires concentration. It may even require us to try ways of praying, like, like prayer journaling or, or praying through specific Bible passages if we can't seem to, to get our minds to focus, but, but all of that seems so difficult and time-consuming, and so we, we just don't do any of it. Because sometimes we're lazy. Again, I'm speaking from experience here. And so we keep our prayers shallow, and we keep our prayers quick, and we typically only pray for ourselves, and, and maybe... Maybe our friends and family, if they're lucky, and aren't annoying us too much at the moment. I'm sorry? Oh, it is. It is. Yeah, but we want to grow in that, right? We want to grow in our prayer. We want to come deeper in our prayer life. But, uh, but it is better than nothing, but we want to grow. We want to grow in it. And here Paul is saying that he is fighting and struggling in intense prayer, not, not even just for himself, and not for those that are in his immediate circle of friends, but he is actually contending seriously in prayer for people that he doesn't even know. For these people that, that he can't even name. 
And so, brothers and sisters, let us plead to God to do a work in our own hearts to transform our prayer lives so that we are drawn into intercessory prayer, not only for each other, and not only for people who are in our immediate circles, but even for those we do not know in places and churches we have never stepped a foot into. Now let's pray that God draws us deeper into prayer. Let us look at what Paul is doing here on behalf of these churches and pray that the Lord gives us a burden to pray for others in a way that could be described as contending on their behalf, struggling in prayer for them. There was a missionary to the Native Americans in the 18th century named David Brainerd. And David Brainerd was actually a guest in Jonathan Edwards' home for a short amount of time, but in one of his diaries... He wrote about his praying for the Native Americans that he was witnessing to, and he says this. He says, God enabled me so to agonize in prayer that I was quite wet with sweat. Though in the shade and the wind cool, my soul was drawn out very much for the world. I grasped for the multitudes of souls. The day after that entry, he wrote this, I think my soul was never so drawn out in intercession for others as it has been this night. Had a most fervent wrestle with the Lord tonight for my enemies. For his enemies. The people he didn't even like. For his enemies. He continues and says, I was enabled to cry to God with a childlike spirit and to continue in prayer for some time. Was much enlarged in the sweet duty of intercession. How how often will we describe prayer like that as a sweet duty? Was enabled to remember great numbers of dear friends and precious souls as well as Christ's ministers. Continued in this frame, afraid of every idle thought till I dropped asleep. Now, that part I can't identify with. Now, does that kind of prayer life sound foreign to you? Does it sound unattainable? Where you are praying so intensely for others that you sweat? Does that feel foreign? Well, friends, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be foreign to us. The Lord can enable you to pray that way just as He did for David Brainerd. You remember up here when I was explaining that He was praying this way, He said not that I could, because I'm so pious in and of myself that I could, that I could pray this way, but He says I was enabled to cry to God with a childlike spirit. He was enabled by God to pray this way. And so we need to pray for our prayer. We can pray this way. The Lord can enable us to pray this way. And so let us call out to Him and ask Him to enable us to be warriors of prayer and not just for ourselves, but on the behalf of others as well. Let us be a praying church. Now, in this contending and struggling in prayer on behalf of these churches, Paul had a goal. He wasn't just saying, Lord, I pray for the church of uh, Colossae and Laodicea, amen. No, he had a specific thing or specific things in mind when he prayed for them. So let's look at verses 1 through 3. 
He says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And here is what he is struggling in prayer for on their behalf. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Got all that? All right, I'll see you next week. I know at first glance there's a lot here that Paul is praying for. But there's sort of a a logical order to this prayer that links it all together. Some have actually called this Paul's intercessory chain, one link leading to the next. And so what I want us to do here for just a short amount of time is to look at this chain one link at a time to see how this prayer from Paul actually fits together. And so the first link in Paul's chain is praying for the hearts of those in the church to be encouraged and to knit together in love. Now this is interesting because notice how Paul's words here are how he, how he kind of words his prayer here, rather. Because often when we see these things, we, we kind of see these as two separate thoughts, right? To be encouraged, or in the Greek, you could also read it strengthened or fortified. That's, that's, that's one request that Paul has for God. And then we would see it as, as another one, as uh, being knit together or unified in love. These are, these are two separate requests from Paul. But you'll notice you will notice that there is no conjunction between the two. There's no conjunction between the two. There's no and. There's no and. The reason is because Paul sees the former being enabled by the latter. In other words, being encouraged is a product of being unified, of being knit together. Let me explain by beginning with the phrase, knit together in love. And maybe it'll make a little bit more sense. Paul is praying that God gives them a mutual and deeply rooted love for one another, so much so that just as these multiple and independent threads are knitted together to make one complete garment, so too would these individual brothers and sisters in Christ be united in love as one inseparable body. Now, Of course, it is far easier to say that we should be knit together in love than to actually be knit together in love. Remember, Paul was praying vigorously for this because he knew that being unified in love in such a way does not come naturally to us. We are far too sinful and too prideful And if we're being honest with ourselves, we are far too emotionally and spiritually fragile for it to come naturally to us. C.S. Lewis once said that unity is a lovely idea until you find something to divide over. And sadly, many churches praise unity until it is something to actually have to strive for and fight for, as we are called to do in Ephesians 4.3. And many in the church are ready to part ways with their local body at the drop of a hat, at the slightest hint of relational difficulty. And so Paul prays fervently for these churches to be knit together, 
to be bound and unified with one another in love that seeks to overcome the difficulties that, that not maybe will arise in the church body, but will arise in the church body. Now this being knit and bound together in love with one another is essential for the encouragement of the heart. And that's why Paul does not put an and here. Because it is through the loving care the church has for those within the body that Paul sees as the avenue through which our hearts are encouraged. We are strengthened and fortified in our faith by loving and caring for one another. Now the type of encouragement that is in view here is not so much comfort in in times of trouble, even though that is true but more fortifying each other's hearts in the midst of heresies that can seep into the church and against doubt in the truthfulness of God's word and the promises that he makes within it. That's the kind of encouragement that we're talking about here. As we will see in a moment, false teaching and doubts of all kinds can can creep into the church and can cause division and deep skepticism to, to begin to spread like a cancer. And we often want to keep all of this to ourselves, right? When we're experiencing that, that discouragement and we're, we're experiencing the doubts that we, that we may have because of we, we hit a part in, a, in the Bible that we don't understand and, and we're kind of confused by it or maybe we hear something from the outside that makes us begin to, to question our faith. One of the things that we like to do most is keep it to ourselves. We try to struggle with it ourselves because either maybe we're, we're too embarrassed to let other people know that we're struggling in our faith or maybe we're, we're just full of shame shame or maybe we're just too prideful and we think that we shouldn't be struggling with these things but that is not true all of us struggle at one point in our walk with Christ or another with these things and we often do not want to let our brothers and sisters know that we are dealing and wrestling with doubt or ideas and beliefs that we know may be wrong but we are too shameful to admit that we have and so we isolate ourselves And we attempt to deal with these issues on our own. And when that happens, when we try to do that, man, our hearts become so discouraged. So discouraged. And we begin to feel isolated from the rest of the body because because when we don't let other people know, we feel like we're the only ones. But brothers and sisters, we weren't designed to deal with these things on our own. That's not how we were designed. Paul knew that we, the church, desperately need one another. Encouraging and strengthening each other's faith as we minister to one another in love. We are called to walk with each other. We are called to share our difficulties. We are called to to share our doubts. Share the things that we are wrestling with. Not keep it all locked inside. And in doing so, as we share with each other, we become more unified. We become more knit together. And we allow the church to do one of the things that it's there to do. Encourage and strengthen and fortify your heart. So this is the first link in Paul's prayer chain. Encouragement of the heart by being knit together in love. 
Now, this encouragement and unity and love is actually connected, like most chains are, to the next link in Paul's prayer chain. As we continue in verse 2, Paul says that there is a result that is directly linked to being encouraged and knit together with one another in love. So take a look at verse 2 one more time. It says, that their hearts may be encouraged being knit together in love. Now why does he want this for them? Why does he want them to be encouraged and knit together in love? To reach, or this could be translated, so they may reach. So they may reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So Paul is saying that this being knit together in love and encouraging one another is a communal effort that we take part in together that brings forth assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And so the question is, what does that mean? What is this assurance of understanding and the knowledge of Christ? Well, what I believe Paul is saying here as we are encouraging one another in love, we together deepen each other's understanding of the riches of the Christian faith. We lead each other into deeper understanding of God's Word and in our knowledge of Jesus in the forgiveness of our sin that is purchased on our behalf on the cross. And as our understanding and knowledge deepens our assurance of our salvation grows. We come to trust the promises of God more and more. And this sort of assurance is a, a glorious thing. This assurance is knowing that we can have faith in Christ that He will complete the work of salvation that He began in us. That is the kind of assurance that Paul says that we can have in Philippians 1.6. And Paul says here in our passage that we can have and attain full assurance of our faith. Now this doesn't mean that we will never have moments of doubt and struggle with what the Bible teaches on certain topics, but it does mean that there is a degree of certainty concerning the most basic and fundamental truths in Scripture that is attainable in this life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our knowledge of Jesus will never be complete. It will never be exhaustive, this side of glory. And there will be things we will always struggle to understand. But our knowledge of Him and His promise of salvation for all those who believe in His name can be sufficiently accurate and adequate to sustain our hope and energize our hearts. Now again... We must remember that growing in and reaching these riches of assurance, of understanding and knowledge of Jesus is the second link in the chain. It's not the first, it's the second. Paul understands this assurance to come about as a result of the first link, of being encouraged and knit together, not independent of it. Do you understand what I'm saying here? One commentator puts it this way. He says, yes, I suppose it's possible for a believer in isolation from others to grow in knowledge and assurance, but that's not the way God intends for it to happen. 
There is a strange and elusive spiritual dynamic at work when Christian men and women corporately and in loving covenant relation with one another commit themselves to the pursuit of the knowledge of God. The insights we gain from one another, the mutual accountability, the collective wisdom that is generated in the context of the local church all serve to enhance our growth in godliness and understanding in a way that can never be fully attained when we venture out on our own. Our unity with one another, your unity with the body of Christ helps us, helps you understand the full riches of his gospel. There is great treasures, or there are great treasures to be found within God's word. And though we may be able to gain some of it on our own, God has designed His church in such a way that we are to help one another plumb the depths of His Word to reach the gold that is found within that we could never reach on our own. We're not meant to grow apart from one another. The Lord grows us in our knowledge of Jesus and assures us in our faith as we minister to one another. As we grow in our knowledge of Christ, we begin to understand the last link of this intercessory chain in verse 3. That in Christ are hidden all the treasure of wisdom and knowledge. This is the last link. Now I want you to notice something about these treasures that we find in Christ in verse 3. I want you to notice how Paul says these treasures that are hidden in Christ are not of a material nature. Often we'll, we'll hear from, from uh, health and wealth preachers or from word of faith preachers that the treasures that are uh, found in Christ is, is material wealth and health in this life. It's not what's found in Christ. The treasures that we find hidden in Christ as we grow in our knowledge and understanding of Him are what? Wisdom and knowledge. These are the true treasures we should seek after. Wisdom and knowledge. Now, wisdom according to Scripture means living and acting according to biblical truth. And so that's just a quick definition of wisdom. And if we want to live and act in a way that is truly wise and will bring forth the most spiritual fruit, then we are to saturate ourselves with the teaching of God found in Scripture. We at Redeemer Church believe in what is called the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. That simply means we take seriously what God's Word says in 2 Timothy 3.16. That all Scripture is breathed out by God, meaning that He is Scripture's ultimate author. And that it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We believe that and we take that seriously. What is needed for you and I to be complete in this life it's not having all the circumstances in our life line up just right. It's not, having, it's not having material wealth. It's not even having our health. That's, that's not it. But instead, to know how to live a godly and righteous manner. To be equipped for every good work. To know how to make Christ-centered decisions. This is solely and completely found within the pages of Scripture. What we need to be complete is Christ. 
We need no other outside sources. Scripture is sufficient for what we need to be complete, wise men and women of God. That's it. Now, the knowledge that is found in Christ isn't knowledge of the natural world. It's not really what's in view here, though that sort of knowledge is found in him too. But Paul in this passage isn't saying that in Christ you can become rocket scientists or nuclear engineers. I've been a Christian for a long time and I still can't do math. So, rather, the knowledge Paul is speaking of here is the knowledge of God himself. Remember back to what Colossians 1.19 says if you were here during that sermon. It says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. For in Him, meaning Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Hebrews 1.3 says, He, meaning Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. In other words, to know Jesus is to know God. Because He Himself is God. If you want to know the heart of God, get to know Jesus. If you want to know what, what we as, as fallen human beings can know of the mind of God, you've got to get to know Jesus. Knowing Him means knowing God. And if you don't know Him, if you don't know Jesus, you have no true knowledge of who God is because it cannot be found apart from God or apart from Jesus. The true, deepest, most profound treasures of knowledge and wisdom cannot be found apart from Christ. And so Paul prays this intercessory chain that the Colossian and the Laodicean church and us may be encouraged as we are knit together in love so that we may grow in assurance in our faith as we grow in our understanding and knowledge of Jesus in whom lies the very source of knowledge and wisdom. And then Paul says in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, Paul is telling them of his prayers here out of concern for them. He knows from experience that there are those who will seek to infiltrate the church and persuade them away from the faith, away from true biblical Christianity. And they often do so within the Christian community itself. There are those, Paul is warning, who will attempt to use Christian jargon to persuade us away from true biblical Christianity. They use the right language, have a persuasive manner, and perhaps even have connections with the right people, but it is all deception. Their words are only superficially Christian and not authentically or truly Christian. And we'll go into this a little bit more next week because Paul gives us a little bit more detail about this specific topic, but suffice it to say, Paul desperately desires for the church in Colossae to not be swayed away from the true gospel and away from the true treasures that are found in Christ. And so Paul willingly suffers and preaches and teaches and agonizes in prayer so that these believers will not be led astray or deluded by plausible arguments. Now, the good news we see in verse 5 is that these false teachings do not yet seem to have made much of a mark in Colossae. 
It reads, For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith is in Christ. Epaphras has clearly reported back to Paul that the Colossians are disciplined and firm in their clinging to Christ. And praise God for that. The fact that Paul is so positive about the church in verse 5 suggests that this, this threat of false teaching has not yet darkened their doors. They have not yet fallen prey to the wolves in sheep's clothing that are seeking to devour them. And so Paul here, and in our passage next week, is encouraging them to stand firm in truth as these deceptive voices grow louder. Now as I wrap up, Paul's love and deep concern for this church is It's a really beautiful thing to witness. Paul is so committed to these Colossian and Laodicean believers that his absence from them in no sense undermines the deep bond he has with them. Because all are united to Christ as members of his church, so Paul is united to the Colossians and to all churches. The fact that he has never even met them is is actually pretty irrelevant which is what is meant by being absent in the body, but with them in spirit. And though we may not always be present with each other, though we may not be present with other believers around the world, that does not give us license to not pray for each other and for them. To plead to the Lord to encourage all of us by knitting His church together in love. And not just this church, not just the church in St. Albans. Not just the church in New England or or North America, but the church universal, the church over the entire world. We want to be knit together in love with all believers. And so let's pray for these things. Let's pray for this knitting together in love. Let's pray for this encouragement of the heart, for this, this understanding and knowledge that leads to assurance of faith in Christ in whom lies all knowledge, lies all wisdom. Let us pray to that end. Pray with me now. Lord, I thank you so much, God, for your word. I thank you so much that we don't have to look at at worldly or man-made systems to know wisdom or to have wisdom. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, that, God, that you are not a distant God that we cannot know, but that we can look to Jesus, we can look to your Son to know you. And if we place our faith in you, And what you did on our behalf, living the perfect life that we couldn't live, dying on the cross in our place, absorbing the wrath of the Father that was us, that was for us. Lord, if we we trust in you, if we trust in that, if we repent of our sins, we can know you. And we can have relationship with you. And Lord, we thank you so much for that. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that we do not neglect the gathering of ourselves. We I pray that you allow us to realize that the body of Christ doesn't know a a member of its body that is removed from it. There's no amputated foot or, or finger or hand in the body of Christ. We're all to be knit together in love. So Lord, I pray that you you remind us of that and you convict us of that. Lord, I pray that you help us in our prayers. Help us grow deeper 
in our communing with you. Help us have a desire as we go out through through our lives, as we go into this week, to to want to go into the throne room of grace and, and make our pleas known to you. Help us overflow with prayers of thanksgiving for all you've done for us. Lord, we love you. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.